Habakkuk, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will, not be, you will not hear, or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me, strife and content, contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the w wicked surround the righteous, and the, so justice goes forth perverted. The Lord's answer. Look upon the nations and see, wonder and be astonished, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth, to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather capt captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh to every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. Shall we pray? Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you, O sovereign God, maker of heaven and earth, you're a sustainer. You're the giver and sustainer and taker of life. There is not a place in this world that does not come under your dominion, under your sovereignty, and under your rule. Father, we confess that though you are good and you are sovereign, our sin has caused us to rebel against you and to say that you are not in charge and to coronate our own selves in the throne of our hearts. Father, we confess that our rebellion and our cosmic treason has only driven us into pain and suffering and destruction. We have destroyed ourselves and our world, our societies and our government. We confess that we desperately need your mercy and your grace. And Father, we thank you that you are a God who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And because you so love the world that you sent us your Son, Jesus Christ, that you are doing something in our day, in the day of Habakkuk, if you told us, we would not believe. Lord, it is too wonderful, it is too magnificent, magnificent for us. Father, we come to you and we lift up our sick to you, those who are separated from us, Lord, and we pray that your grace would be poured out on them, that they would know your presence, you would encourage them and strengthen them and bring them back. Father, we thank you that you hear our prayers. You are not a God who is high and lifted up and distant from us, but you are a God who is near and a God who came near. 
And Father, you say to bring us your cares and your burdens, and we cast them on you because you care for us. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to love you this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. I have been a pastor here at Ocean Park for over five years. No, no, uh, November was five years. I have been in ministry type of things from youth to um, elder at a church and all of these things for almost 20 years. And uh, throughout those years, I have counseled with people. I have cried with people. I have walked, watched people walk away from the Lord. But I have found that every person is different, but every person is also the same. And that they have a common struggle in their faith, in their walk, in this Christian journey, and they have a common question, a deep personal questions that they ask of God, who they believe is maker of heaven and earth. They often ask the question, why? Or how long? Or where are you? Questions like, where were you, God, when my spouse got cancer? Why didn't you stop my child from dying? Why doesn't God stop my mind from dimming and my body from failing me? Where was God when I lost my job, my marriage, my family? Why is God not answering my prayers? How long, O Lord, will you allow cheaters to prosper and tyrants to win? Those are the questions that I have been given. And honestly, my answers are often, all the time, I don't know. But I know that God can be trusted. As we start this book, this oracle of Habakkuk, we will often feel the, the struggles and the weariness and the burden of the prophet. Though he ministered some 3,000 years ago at a different time, in a different place, in a different culture, the heart of his questions and the heart of his struggles and the problem of sin and evil and the role of God in the world is the, still the same as it was back then as it is today questions the prophet of God who had access to God himself was overwhelmed and he uh, would cried out to God because of his utter feebleness of trying to understand what God was doing and at the end as we will see in three four weeks from now the only option he had was faith the only thing he could do was cling to his faith in a sovereign and good God. It's my desire that I will bring the questions that, that Habakkuk brought God, why and how long and where are you, and bring them uh, because I know that God can answer our questions. He can handle them. 
when we shout at heaven, why and where are you and how long, O Lord, God can handle it. The question is, can we handle his answers? I want to give you a little context uh, to this. And starting out in uh, Habakkuk verse 1, the oracle or the burden that Habakkuk the, the prophet saw. Uh, Habakkuk happened in the time when the end of the kings, when the, the uh, kingdoms had started to fray and their imminent doom was near. Habakkuk was contemporary with uh, Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, and they served under a good king, Josiah, who was beloved by his people. The people loved him because he cared for the needs of the poor and for the needy. He was one of the good kings, one of the few good kings. But his son was nothing like his father. Um, Jehoiakim exploited his subjects. He disregarded justice and righteousness. His administration was wicked and corrupt. And it, it, because of it, it uh, spawned widespread oppression and injustice and violence around the world that he lived in. And the prophet Jeremiah, in his book, would preach out against the people. And Jeremiah went to the king and said, you have eyes and a heart only for your dishonest gain, for shedding innocent blood and for practicing oppression and for violence. Judah, where Habakkuk and Jeremiah um, ministered and were prophets, was a wicked place. And just like the time of the judges, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. The law of God was forgotten, it was disobeyed, and it was, was trampled. The wicked were many and the righteous were few. Does it sound like a world that we live in today? The Old Testament is not so foreign. They may look different and dress different and eat differently, but they have the same heart and the same experiences that we do some 30 centuries later in this 21st century. While Jeremiah preached out against kings and societies and people, it was Habakkuk that cried out to God. Where are you? Why is this happening? How long do we have to deal with this? Habakkuk cried out, and he couldn't see the evidence of God's hand moving in his people, and he, and he questioned God. And it's the answer in Habakkuk that this oracle would give us, and the question is this, or the big idea this morning would be, when you can't see the hand of God, because I promise you, you will have times in your life when the clouds are low, and the mountains are high, and the valleys are dark, and you can't see the hand of God. And you don't know what's going on. You don't know where God is and why He has brought you here. When you can't see the hand of God, trust the promises of God. When you can't see the hand of God, trust the promises of God. And the way we'll do this is as we follow Habakkuk, he will say in verses 1-4, through four, don't trust what you feel or what you see. Don't trust what you feel or what you see. Trust the unfailing promises of God. Verses 5-11. through 11. So, we'll jump in into that, into first one that we have. 
Not that, jump that far. Okay, good. The, one, the first points, Habakkuk tells us, don't trust what you see or what you feel. Verses 2 through 4, O Lord, o Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Do something. Can't you see this? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. The law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Habakkuk looked and he saw the wickedness of his day. And he assumed that the silence of heaven means that either God was delinquent or God was apathetic to the plight of his people or he was both. And why did he feel that way? Where, where do we get this? Because Habakkuk judged by what his eyes could see and his emotions told him and what his mind could understand. Look, he says in all he can see in verse 3 and 4, all he sees is destruction and violence. Strife and contention. The law was paralyzed. Justice was not going, uh, flowing forth from the mountaintops like the prophet said. Justice was withheld, and when any justice came out, it was perverted. And the wicked outnumbered the righteous. There were few and far between who honored the law of God and loved the Lord and sought to do His will. And his distress and his frustration, he lifts his voice to heaven and he cries out in a bitter lament, don't you care about this? Aren't you going to do something? Do you see this? Where are you, God? Habakkuk's heart is overwhelmed because he has no answers to the problems that his eyes see. And he thinks the silence of heaven, and the silence of heaven causes him frustration. But in verse 2, he, he cannot square the character of a God who he knows to be true and good and sovereign and just. He can't square that with his experience. Have you ever been there? Ocean Park, that you cannot understand what's happening. It's just a struggle that ever since in Genesis chapter 3 when the garden was polluted by sin, this is what the struggle of God's people have said time and time again. Why aren't you answering me, Lord? Help! I need help! The psalmist is a place to go and you see this time and time again. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? The cry of the desperate people of God. How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? And he continued another psalm. It says, I am weary with crying out. I've done it so long. I've prayed so much for deliverance, for an answer, for a solution, for you to come in. I am weary of crying out to you, Lord. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim and at waiting for the God, my God. And finally, in a desperate pleading voice, oh God, be not far from me. Oh God, make haste. Hurry to help me. I need you. If you're like the psalmist, and I know I am, 
We feel the confusion and pain when we look at the world and when we look at our circumstances, when the, the bitterness of life and sin affects us. We wonder where God is. Like Habakkuk, we simply don't understand what God is doing. How long will he let this go on? Is he out there? All we can see is corruption. All we can see is perversion. And all the while, heaven seems silent. In his pain, God wants us to go and cry out and lament. That's what the Psalms are so good because they guide us as train tracks. They guide our emotions and our struggles and our feeling. And it shows us how do we lament in our grief properly and, and with honor and reverence to God, but be authentic and real as we cry out. Not just put on a happy face. Don't cry. Don't let them see you cry or don't cry out loud. That's what she said, how she sang. Where we just put on a happy face and a stiff up upper lip, but we're honest before our God because He knows our hearts. But the problem with Habakkuk here is he had two false premises in his crying out. His first false premise was this God is not listening. He hasn't done anything. He hasn't done what I've cried over and over again. I've cried. I've done the right thing. I've said the right words. He assumed that God wasn't listening because he was still experiencing his bitter circumstances. That was the first false premise. The second false premise is this. God is not doing anything to save his people, to deliver us from this situation. He assumed that because he had been in his circumstances for so long, that by now, if God was working to save him, the almighty God of the universe would have surely shown up and sorted this nonsense around. Have you ever felt that way? God is not listening, and if he is listening, he doesn't care, and he's not doing anything, because surely he would have done something by now. If he wanted to save me, he would. Why do I still have to suffer? Why do I still have to face persecution? Why do I still have the taste of bitterness in my mouth because I live in a fallen world? Ocean Park, do not confuse the seeming silence of heaven as either God's inactivity or his indifference. The reason heaven often seems silent is because we don't have the capacity or the wisdom or the eyes to be able to perceive what God is doing in us and through us. The Almighty God, His ways are higher than our ways. And we have reduced him to a, a pocket-sized genie that when we rub the lamp, when we say the words of the right, poof, he delivers us. God is so much bigger, and his mind is wiser and better. Rarely do we ever know what God is doing in our midst. One tweet John Piper did is, God is always doing 10,000 things in our life. We might know three of them. It is, we have no idea what God is doing. And most of the time, we don't have the capacity to perceive or to understand what God is doing. His, his plan, His scope, and we're going to see this. I don't want to let the cat out of the bag, but God is doing something a lot bigger than you and I. He's doing something greater. 
And we start to see a glimpse of that in Matthew chapter 27 when Habakkuk's cry, where are you God, is echoed at Calvary. Matthew 27, 46. Jesus, in his humanity, in the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where are you, God? And as the hymn writer says, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that He should give His only Son to make a wretch His treasure. And here it is. How great the pain of searing loss. The Father turns His face away. And wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Ocean Park, we have no idea what God is doing. His plan, His work is so much greater than our puny, tiny little minds could understand. As we were going to see in a minute, if God told us, it would blow our minds and we wouldn't believe Him. Don't trust what your eyes can see and what your emotions tell you. Don't follow your heart. It will lead you astray. Disney's philosophy of following your heart is bad. It's bad. That's heresy. That's false doctrine. I'm not afraid to say it right there. It's heresy. Follow the maker of your heart. Our sovereign God who is good and wise and just and as my pastoral mentor Robert said, as he was dying of a brain tumor at 53 years old and not understanding, he says, God is not a novice. He knows what he's doing. And you must remember, when your eyes tell you that God isn't working and when your heart tells you he's not listening and he's not coming to save, when you can't see the hand of God, trust the promises of God. They are new every morning, Lamentations says. Great is your faithfulness. Not only do, does Habakkuk tell us not to trust what we see or feel, but he tells us to trust the unfailing promises of God in verses 5 through 11. Habakkuk. He laments and gives his grief, uh, grief towards heaven. He pours out his raw emotions towards God and towards heaven. And then the voice of God answers the weary prophet in his confusion. Notice verse 5. And if you underline in your Bible, you need to underline this. You need to highlight it. You need to frame it. You need to tweet it. You need to take a cute picture of yourself and put it on Instagram. Verse 5. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. And here's the promise of God. I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told you. Did you hear that? Though we don't see it, and though we don't understand it, and our, our minds are so small to be able to comprehend the almighty God of the universe to see what He is doing, if He told us, we would not believe Him. The very words of Habakkuk's complaint, God turns and uses to show the feebleness of His perception. Check it out. Habakkuk says, 
um, why am I seeing iniquity in verse 3? He could only see iniquity, and he accused God of idly looking at wrong and doing nothing. And God hears it. And God doesn't say, oh, everything's going to be all right. He turns and notice he uses in verse 5 the very words that Habakkuk says. Look and see. Identical words. Look and see. God is about to show Habakkuk that his cries for help and desperation and grief and lament have not fallen onto an iron uh, 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 heaven but they have gone into the very heart of God and they have not been in vain. The Lord has full sympathy and for the agony of the prophets. And he's, he is already doing something in his day that will, if the prophet could get his mind around it, it would blow his mind with wonder and astonishment. For it, it far exceeds anything his mind could fathom. Verse 5, end of verse 5, I am doing a work in your days that if I told you, you would not believe. God has watched and witnessed the, the wickedness and the destruction and the perversion and the uh, exploitation in Judah. And he's been watching it all these years. And he's been doing something. The very thing that he promised Eve in the garden. Your uh, offspring of the woman will crush the head of the wicked. God has been doing something that the people did not understand. And he assures him, and he's a, you're going to see in a minute, that his anger burns. His righteous anger Anger over the right things in the, dealt with in the right way. His anger burns on account of the very things that Habakkuk is crying out about. He loathes how his law is paralyzed and perverted and his justice is withheld. His indignation boils uh, and the throngs of the wicked oppress the righteous. God has seen it all. Heaven has not been silent. Heaven has been working and hearing and watching. And he is about to act decisively. His action will be swift and precise. And all who witness it will stand in utter horror. Because heaven will no longer be silent. But God is about to punish the wicked. And Habakkuk, as we'll see next week, is going to be like, whoa, whoa, that's not what I was looking for. Notice verse 6. Behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. God is about to answer the wickedness of Judah by mobilizing the most ruthless, wicked army in all of known world at the time. The, what would become to known as the Babylonians and they're called the Chaldeans. Historians, uh, notice what God says about them. In verse 6, the people are bitter, bitter and hasty. In verse 7, the, their force is dreaded and fearsome. In verse 8 and 9, their weapons are fierce and violent. In verse 10 and 11, their demeanor is irreverent and pompous. Historians tell us that the rampart, rampaging armies ruthlessly spread fear over all of the known world. Their punishments were so ghastly 
they in um, a paralyzing fear took over their prisoners. What they would do, they would flay their opponents while they were still alive. They would impale them, cut off their body parts, and burn them alive. And when anybody heard the name of the Chaldeans, they stopped in fear. I can imagine today, a few years ago, when ISIS was at its most strong and powerful, and the Christians in the Middle East, or even the Muslims who didn't do what the ISIS wanted them to do, when they heard that ISIS is coming, it was the same cold chill that ran down their, their backs. And this is the very thing that uh, Habakkuk hears. Such an answer from heaven would have struck te- terror in the heart of Habakkuk. That, that, no, 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 that's not what I want. And we'll see that next week. For now, Habakkuk knows before everybody else that the, the Chaldeans have locked the Judah and the wicked people in their crosshairs and they were coming. God was doing something greater, though, than bringing just judgment on the wicked. It would be something that Habakkuk would not believe if you were to tell him at that day that God tells him. God through this instrument of judgment, not only was dealing with sin and wickedness, but he was actually accomplishing their salvation. But Habakkuk couldn't see it and couldn't understand and couldn't perceive how in the world were you doing this? Turn in your Bibles uh, to Deuteronomy. Keep your finger here in Habakkuk. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 30. If you're in a pew Bible, it's on page 172. If you don't have a pew Bible and don't know where Deuteronomy is, it's to the left. You can actually go to the table of contents in the front of your Bible. It's the fifth book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. See, all that money on seminary really worked out well. Um, And you can find it there. You can find the page number and you go to chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30, and we know a couple years ago we preached through Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is the book of the law of God. And for 26 chapters, God gives this generation that's about to go into the promised land the law of God. And he calls the people to trust God, the Lord that brought them out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, trust what he has done, and because of that, this is how they were to live. This is how they were to respond to what God has done. They weren't saving themselves, they were responding to what God has done. But in the end, after chapter 26, 29, uh, 30, they get to the curses and the blessings. And the blessings say, if you enjoy, if obey the law, you will enjoy the blessings of the land as God has intended it to be. And it will be fruitful and multiply, and you will drink the milk and, and taste the sweetness of the honey, and your life will be blessed and protected from sin and harm. But if you disobey, the con- experience that you will experience the confusion and the frustration of the curses. God promised that he would not allow his law to be trampled. But the people, as we know, ignored his word. And he said, uh, I will raise up a foreign nation against you. But what did they do? They ignored his word. And he says, I will cast you out of this promised land, out of the land of milk and honey, the good land that I won you and I earned you. But they ignored God. 
Habakkuk was now a witness to this coming storm, a storm whose warnings have been trumpeted by prophets for generation after generation after generation, but they fell on deaf ears because the people were doing right in their own eyes, and they said, I don't want God in charge. I want to be in charge. I am the captain of my soul. I am the master of my fates. Yet, all hope is not lost. Check it out. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 1. And when all these things come upon you, the blessings and the curses, this is because they have sinned, which I have said about you, and you call them to mind, you remember among the nations where the Lord has driven you. It wasn't the Chaldeans who just happened across Israel in their global conquest. The Lord had driven his wicked and rebellious people, his children, and he had driven them into the nations. And you think, well, that is just ghastly. How could God do that? Is he so vengeful and wrathful and hateful, pouring out his wrath? It's so Old Testament. But then we see in verse 4, or excuse me, verse 5, and the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possess, that you may possess this. I will bring you home. And he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. And the Lord your God, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. God was not raising up the Chaldeans to annihilate Judah because he was hateful and vindictive, capricious and calculating. God was raising the Chaldeans to demonstrate and fulfill his spectacular promise some 400 years earlier through Moses that God would win the hearts of his people. Robert, in his, when he preached through Habakkuk, wrote, said this, God is as if he is saying, I am banishing you into exile so that you will love me. I will pour out my wrath so that I can pour out my love. Ocean Park, the difficult lesson of Habakkuk is that, not, is that God is accomplishing his promises through unexpected and un, oftentimes undesirable means. Habakkuk, when he hears this plan of God, he says, I don't like it. And he's lucky that God does not smite him. But God is gracious and merciful, compassionate and, and, and long-suffering. God is accomplishing his salvation through suffering, his restoration of his people through exile, his victory through defeat. The instrument of temporary judgment will actually unleash and unfold the glory of God and lead to the salvation of his people. But they do not understand. All they cry out is, how long, O Lord? Where are you, God? Why? Habakkuk could only see the dust on the horizon from the impending Chaldean armies that was coming to wipe them out. That's all he could see. He couldn't see the kingdom beyond that, a kingdom where the wolves lay down with the lambs. A kingdom where swords and spears are only useful for gardening and pruning. A kingdom where all the people love the Lord with all their hearts and soul and might and strength and love the neighbor as themselves. 
And again, in back in the promises of God in Habakkuk verse chapter 1, verse 5, look among the nations and see. I wonder and be see, wonder and be astounded. I am doing a work in your day that you would not believe if I told you the very words Paul in Acts 13 preached that they could not kill Jesus, the risen Lord, because God was doing something too wonderful. So the question of Habakkuk chapter 1 is not, is God listening to me? Is God doing anything about my situation? The question is, will Habakkuk trust God's promises even when he doesn't understand? It's the same question in Ocean Park that you and I must answer. Will we trust what our eyes can see and our hands can touch and our minds can understand and our emotions can grasp? Or will we trust the promises of our Heavenly Father? What do we do? Who do you love? Who do you trust? Eight, Romans 8, chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse 28 Often, honestly, people quote this in trite ways, and all you want to do is punch them in the throat. You're like, stop it. But when we take a deep breath, count to ten, and we think about it, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for what? For those who are called according to his purpose. Brothers and sisters, for those of you who have put your faith in Christ. For those of you who have put your faith in Christ. God is your Father who loves his children. And he promises to work all things out for your good. Even though not all things are good. Like Habakkuk, he looked at the evil and the wickedness and the perversion and the injustice of his world. He looked at the Chaldeans' armies and the exiles and he said, these are not good. And God assured him, I am working them out for, my, for your good. We can look at cancer and chemo, criticism and disappointment, financial hardship and failing health. Ocean Park, if you are united to Christ by faith, your Father cares for you. He has not promised you a life of ease and comfort and delight. He calls us to faithfulness, to trust Him, to live by His Word, and to worship Him in spirit, in truth, because He is giving us something better than health, wealth, and prosperity. He is giving us Himself now and for eternity. And let me tell you, if someone's like, that's no big deal, if we knew how wonderful a promise that was, if we could uh, just get a glimpse, it would blow our mind. We wouldn't believe it if he told us the almighty God, maker of heaven and earth, is our Father, and he calls us sons and daughters, and he calls us for eternity with himself and his people. Our feeble minds could not understand it, and our imaginations could not create it. Therefore, in the midst of the whys and the how-longs and the where-are-yous, O oh God, we cling to the promises of God 
In 2 Corinthians 4, verses 17 and 18, the promises of God. Paul writing, the very one that says, I'm doing something in your midst, as he explained the significance of the resurrection of Jesus. For this light, momentary affliction, the suffering, the pain, the tears, the confusion, the anger, the bitterness, the, the, the angst that we experience is preparing us preparing us for the eternal weight of glory beyond all comparisons. As we look to the things that are seen, but to, to the things that are unseen. We look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Let me tell you this, those that are children of God, God loves you too much to watch you wallow in the cesspool of pride and vanity and idolatry. God is preparing you for eternity. God refuses to idly sit back and you trade the fountain of living water for broken cisterns that hold no water. He is preparing you for the glory of eternity. God is doing something that if He told you, you wouldn't believe because he is preparing you for the glory of, your, of eternity. So when you have those questions, when you look at your circumstances, when you see what your eyes can see and you feel what your emotions tell you and you say, where are you, God? God reminds you and the Spirit comforts you and reminds you that God is doing something in eternity, for eternity, that is so much bigger than the pain and the difficulties that you have today that are real and they are bitter and they are cutting. The glory is so much greater. And all the while, our eyes and our emotions cannot detect what God is doing. John Piper puts it this way. And it's a long quote, but it's a good quote. I think I can read it. I'll stay here. Not only is all your affliction momentary and light compared with eternity and the glory there. That right there is a huge statement. Paul says the very real things that hurts you and aches your soul and uh, causes your world to come to a creeping halt, those things are light and those are temporary compared to eternity. We have no comprehension because it overwhelms us at that moment. Every millisecond of your pain from the fallen nature and misery in this path of obedience is producing a peculiar glory because of that. Cancer and criticism. Slander and sickness. It isn't meaningless. It is doing something. Of course you can't see what it is doing. Don't look at what is seen when your mom dies, when your kid dies, when you have cancer at 40. It's not meaningless. Do not lose heart. Take these truths and day by day focus on them. Preach them to yourself every morning until your heart sings with confidence that you are new and you are cared for. Ocean Park, you will likely never know the answer to why did God do this? And why did God allow that? Just like when you were little, like really little, or your kids are little, and, you're, and you'd be doing something complicated, and they ask you a million questions, why? And you finally say, shh, 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 shh. just watch. And you'll see, and you'll understand when I'm finished. That is what our Father 
says to us time and time again, trust me, I know what I'm doing. And brothers and sisters, we can trust the promises of God, our Heavenly Father. But let me warn you, the struggle for answers is a path that will lead you nowhere. Like a hamster wheel, you will stay and perpetually be chasing in circles like a dog that chases their tail because I will tell you that answers are inadequate. Answers will not remove the pain. If somebody came up to you and told you the very reason that you were in this situation that you were in, that wouldn't change your pain and that wouldn't change the hurt and that wouldn't change the emotions. It will not heal your heart. Ocean Park, what we need in situations when we ask why and how long and where are you, we need faith. We need faith in the struggle. We need faith in the storm. We need faith in the midst of tears. When we need faith in the confusion. We need faith in the grief. Faith also will not relieve the pain. But what faith does is it gives hope. And when you have confidence that our Heavenly Father does not waste the deepest griefs, but uses them according to the purpose, per, uh, perfect wisdom to accomplish what He is doing in us and through us, there we will find hope. And let me tell you, hope, quoting Scripture, does not disappoint. Ocean Park, every single one of you at a different point in your life and your walk and your experience, some of you have... Um, tasted bitter circumstances that many of us will never experience in our life. Each one of you has a different struggle. Each one of you have different questions, but each one of us has has the same need. We need faith in the promises of who God is and what he has done and what he has told us he will do. Take heart. You can trust your Heavenly Father who is doing something so amazing that you would not believe it if he told you. He is preparing you for glory that has been won by Jesus Christ through the cross. The foolishness of the cross that the world looks by and says, that's ridiculous. God is doing something and he's working that the glory of God would fill the earth. That there will be a time when Christ will return and bring his people into the heavenly banquet where the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all who have trusted in the promises of God in Christ will spend eternity in the fellowship with one another and it will be more than we ever could imagine in this life. And as we await those days through the valleys And through the fog and through the tears, we remember that when you can't see the hand of God, trust the promises of God.